Welcome to Locked On Warriors, your daily podcast on all things Warriors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm Wes Goldberg, Warriors writer for the Mercury News. Joining me today is longtime Warriors fan favorite Jason Richardson, who played for some lousy Warriors teams, but in 2007 was a key part of the We Believe Warriors who beat the number one seed Dallas Mavericks in the first round of the playoffs. Richardson is an NCAA champion, two-time dunk contest champion. He's third in Warriors franchise history in three-pointers made behind only Steph Curry and Klay Thompson and was arguably ahead of his time as a dunker, three-point shooter, and a relatively versatile defender. In my conversation with him, he talked about what that 2007 season was like, why they were able to upset the Mavericks in the first round, his favorite dunks, and his favorite Steven Jackson stories. I gotta say, I really enjoyed this conversation. I'm sure you're going to, too. But before we get to that, I want to tell you about Postmates. From an early morning breakfast burrito to a 12-pack of beers while you watch the game, sometimes all you need is what you need delivered fast, and that's where Postmates comes in. If you're like me, you probably start thinking about what you want to eat for dinner while you're eating lunch. I love food. That's why I love using Postmates. They deliver food from every restaurant that I could think of right to my door. But Postmates doesn't just deliver burgers and sushi. They actually make my life easier with grocery delivery and whatever I could think of delivery too. Convenience stores, clothing stores, you name it. So no more trips to the store. No more late night fast food runs. I don't even have to worry about where to grab lunch anymore. Just download the Postmates app on iOS or Android. Find your favorites and get anything you want delivered within the hour. And now for a limited time, Postmates is giving our listeners $100 of free delivery credit for your first seven days to start your free deliveries. Download the app and use the code LOCKEDONNBA, that's the code LOCKEDONNBA, for $100 of free delivery credit with no minimum purchase for your first seven days when you download the Postmates app. Anything you need, anytime you need it, Postmate it. Now, here's Jason Richardson. I'm here with Jason Richardson, longtime warrior, two-time dunk contest champion, and fan favorite in large part due to his being on the 2007 We Believe Warriors. Let's start with one story that defines that We Believe season, if you have one. Oh, man. Um, I think the the one story that stick out with me was uh, we were off playing. Um, we were in Detroit, uh, playing against a pretty good Detroit team. Um, I was just coming back out uh, off an injury and then kind of getting my groove back. Um, Al was coming off some bumps and bruises. Steven was coming off a little bumps and bruises. Baron was coming back from, you know, basically just playing the season, starting the season. And uh, I remember how excited we were going into the game. Uh, you know, in the tunnel, it's kind of just like, man, we finally together. We have full strength. Let's go ahead and just play. And I think we go out there and we win by 30 or 40 points, wherever it was. And we come back in the locker room and we realize, like, man, what just happened? <laughs> like, we are seriously dangerous, man. And uh, we was kind of all living, you know, riding high. Then we get on the airplane. And uh, I can't, I think it was Matt. He brought up, like, hey, man, we have a chance to still make the playoffs. It's slim, but we still have a chance. And uh, we kind of all kind of came together and cheers each other to to dedicate the rest of the season of making the playoffs. And I think that's the story that stick out with me the most because it was one game that turned it on, and we all kind of looked at each other and knew that. If we play like that every night, there's not many teams out there that's going to beat us. And you, you knew what the you knew what bad teams were and what bad locker rooms were because you had unfortunately been through a lot of bad seasons with the Warriors. But can you can you tell me about that letter of apology that you wrote to fans? I think it was in 2005, and how that idea came about. Well, the, the idea came about, you know, um, Bobby Rowe, who was the uh, president at the time, the owner, Raymond, came to me. And um, I think Travis, yeah, Travis Stanley was one another person. And um, 
we kind of all were just like, you know, we, that was supposed to be a big year for us. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Baron was kind of coming back. He was there. We had Derek, myself, Troy, Mike. Um, and we, we thought we kind of underachieved, and I think we did a little bit. We, we kind of underachieved that season, but um, I think the fans really was expecting us to do well that season, at least have a playoff push or get close to a playoff run. And we just didn't meet up to the expectation. And once we got together with those guys, uh, we knew we had to figure out how to do something, you know, just let the fans know that we're going to get this thing right, that we're going to continue to try. Uh, we know it's been a 14-year drought. Well, going on a 14-year drought. And I thought it was a great idea to, you know, have everybody on the team sign in like a declaration that, hey, next year we're going to make the playoffs. And then you did. And then Don Nelson starts Al Harrington at center against Dallas in that first round, number one seed Dallas. And then did you feel even then like your team was ahead of your time? Because that really knocked them off their game a little bit. Yeah, it did. Um, I knew if we get Dallas in the first round, uh, we, was gonna, we were, we were going to beat them. Even before the trade for Steven and, and Al, uh, we always either play Dallas really, really close or we'll beat them, you know, every now and then. And so, uh, you know, we got them in the first round, and I had to rewind myself back. Actually, it was a, the last game. It was, like, close to the last game of the regular season. I think it was three games before the playoffs or four games before the playoffs. If Dallas, we played Dallas. If Dallas beat us, they played the Clippers. And they come in, and they bench their whole starters. And we were like, it was a message to us that, hey, they were scared of us. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, we went out there. I think we whooped on them. And, you know, we get to the playoffs. And Don, you know, he coached Dallas for many years. He, right. you know, basically coached dirt to what he was. And he knew all Dirk's tricks. Um, we was going to start small. We was going to put a smaller guy on Dirk, get into him, make Dirk spin, and have somebody come and double when he go try to post up on the spin ball. And it worked. Um, you know, we, we shut down the MVP of that season mm-hmm. and the team that was supposed to win the championship. So uh, we knew we had we had a number having Don, you know, Coach Nelly being, a, you know, almost a scout that was after practices pretty much. <laughs> and he knew every call. He knew every play. I mean, it was so much, you know, I've been in other playoff games, but I was never prepared for a playoff game like that one. What do you remember about Oracle after game six? It, it was unbelievable. Um, you know, we, we win the series. Uh, we go to the locker room. I, I have my son. My son is, you know, in the middle, and every got, everybody got the music on. He's dancing. They cheering. And I think it was, you know, one of the ball boys come back. I was like, Man, the fans are still out there. And it was just like 15, 20 minutes after the game that ended. I said, what you mean, the fans? He said, the lower bowl is packed with fans. Nobody want to leave. <laughs> and so Monte and Al was like, let's go back out there, Jay Rich. I was like, let's do it. And so us three, we go out there, and we just out there celebrating with the fans. And it was almost like we won a championship because it was so much pent-up aggression, so much uh, – you know, energy from that night and just years from not making the playoffs, finally get a good team. Um, it was just, it was something special for the fans. How how good do you think you guys could have been that next year had you not gotten traded to Charlotte? I think we could have been really good. Um, you know, we, we, we did something special in, you know, 20-some games. Uh, we finally was getting a, a real good feel. We had a, a of each other, just playing together, learn how to play. Um, you know, we had a lot of, you know, energy going forward. And at the time, I didn't know what was going on. I just started, this, you know, hey, I was the big contract. You have Monte coming up. I respected that because Monte is a hell of a basketball player. Mm-hmm. And I kind of took it personal. 
And, I, you know, I never asked for a trade. I never demanded anything. I always played hard, just went out there and played. When I got traded, I kind of took it personal. And it didn't, I mean, it was years later until, like, 2011 or 2012. I was in my front yard in Denver playing with my kids. And P.L. Uh, Alexandro, who was the GM at the time, or assistant GM at the time, to Chris, uh, stopped me. He had just bought a house down the street. He was becoming the GM at Denver. Hmm. And we started talking. And he told me, he's like, you know that trade wasn't just, like, about anything else besides we was getting Kevin Garnett. We was trying to get Kevin Garnett during that trade. I said, what? He said, yeah. He said, it was no way in the world we were going to trade you unless we was going to get, a like, a once-in-a-lifetime player like Kevin Garnett. And I was like, I never knew that. And it's like eight years later, six years later, wherever it was, that I finally found out the reason I got traded was it was a, a trade that was supposed to happen. And, you know, somehow the Warriors were supposed to get Kevin Garnett and it was a three-person trade, three-team trade, wherever it was. But, uh, you know, after I found that, I was like, okay, that makes sense now. Because at the time, it didn't make sense. For years, it didn't make sense. But I would have traded myself for Kevin Garnett if I had a chance to got him. <laughs> so it sounds like you were bitter at first. And then, you know, you kind of learn the reasoning behind it. And that, that was never told to you until years later. And then after at that point, you're, you you can sort of accept it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I was necessary. Yeah, I kind of was bitter because, um, you know, I felt like I was one of the only few players that wanted to start into their career there. You know, when I was there before, it was guys that was, you know, giving, you know, 50% effort. A lot of guys were trying to get numbers so they could get traded. A lot of guys were trying to leave, but I just felt something special there and I wanted to be there. And uh, I'm not going to lie, it hurt. It hurt big time, you know, that draft day you get traded and at the all those years you finally win, then you get traded. It was some bitterness there for a while. And uh, you know, I saw Mully a couple of years later after that and you know, we shook hands and talked and everything like that. So, um but I always had love for the bait, always had love for the organization. Was it ever explained to you why they didn't end up with Kevin Garnett? I don't know, but I, I had saw some stories that started to come out like the you know, the last year or so of how to trade them through whoever it was, but I, I don't know the specifics of it, but I know I saw a couple of things on Real GM and they were saying that, you know, something happened with the trade and I think Minnesota had Kofi, whatever it was, but it was uh it was something weird that happened. Um I wanna start talking about some of your dunks, because obviously that was one of your signature things when you were when you were play when you were playing. Two time dunk contest champion Incredible in-game dunker. I'm curious uh, what you believe is the best dunk of your career. Ooh, my pro career best dunk. Oh my goodness, it, it's it's hard. <laughs> it's it's hard to say what's my best <laughs> dunk. Um, you know, it has you know a lot of good ones and a lot of bad ones. <laughs> but let, uh, it, it's hard to just pick one. Let me rephrase it then. Do you do you believe you have a dunk that was better? Than Baron Davis's dunk on Andre Karolinko. No, <laughs> I, I think me personally, that was the best in dunk game I've seen, um, especially in the moment, the playoffs, um, a guard going up against a guy that's almost seven feet, that's mm-hmm. known for blocks, that's known for defense, um, and to just you know dominate him at the rim and humiliate him. That every time you talk about you know the Warriors and Baron Davis, they go show that picture, they go show that highlight, they go show that dunk. Um, I don't think I had a better than Baron. When you see players dunking now in games or even in dunk contests or wherever it may be, 
what do you look for when you're sort of judging what a good dunk is? Because I think, like, specifically with the dunk contest, we're kind of, they put on a show and there's, like, a lot of props and things like that. But is there something that you look for as sort of just a purist of dunking that that you see and you if they do that, uh, that, that qualifies it as a good dunk? I think creativity. Mm-hmm. I think, um, you know, the props, uh, not a real big thing, but I totally understand to try to get fans into it. Um, I think it's, you know, taking dunks that have been done and putting your own twist on it. Um, you know, most of the dunks I've done was, you know, been done by, you know, guys like Dominique and some of our events. But, um, you know, you just try to make it and make it your own. You try to turn your body a different way. You try to, you know, bring the ball a little bit lower when you do a windmill. Um, you just try to do something to, to get people out their seats. You know, right now, I mean, just where guys are taking it to and how high these kids are jumping. A lot of them jump higher than I ever jumped. Um, it's just hard to come up with new dunks. So you just try to take the old ones and make it your own and make it, make it a little bit different so it looks like it's new. I've got to ask you something about Steven Jackson because he's been extremely candid, candid about smoking weed before games, drinking scotch with Don Nelson, screaming at reporters at restaurants. But I'm curious what your favorite off-the-court Steven Jackson story is. <laughs> oh man! I, I mean, we were—you know—it it was a group of guys. And I always say this: it was a group of guys that just—it uh, was, it was all kind of castaways. And, you know, um, you know, Stephen was coming off the the palace of the broad at the palace. Uh, Baron, everybody was saying he was injury prone. Mad, they say he was a journey mad. D, they say I was overpaid. It was just everybody that had labels on us and. When we got together, we didn't care. I mean, you know, Barrett and, and, and Steven and Al, they've been friends for years. And, you know, Matt and Barrett went to UCLA, and I just kind of fed in. And I was, like, kind of the guy that tells me, hey, everybody, let's calm down. Uh, but I think my favorite Steven Jackson story is we we in Houston. We just got done playing the Rockies. We beat them. We, we celebrate his birthday. We got the whole team on top of 1 through 15, 1 through 14, whoever was on the roster, everybody was at his party. We had a good night. The party in. And nobody's leaving the parking lot. And so the officers come up to, you know, Stephen and Baron, you know, like, hey, you know, nobody's going to leave until you guys leave. Can you guys leave? And so Stephen Jackson, he's going, he going in as a police officer. I ain't going nowhere. This is my city. Right? You know, this is my birthday, my snack. So the officer is like, hey, man, calm down. You know, this is like, you know, you need to leave for arrest. And so he's going off. And so I'm starting to go over there to be the peacemaker to try to pull everybody to get in the, you know, we ran a party bus. And all I hear is Baron Davis, officers, stand down. Officers, stand down. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wait a minute, what is going on? Like, you know, we are, you know, Stephen is going here, Stephen and Baron Tarlett, the officer to stand down. I was like, hey, man. So I told the officer, like, I got this. Let's just give us a second. I'll call him everybody down. We get in the bus and leave. But I had never I want to do a little bit of a lightning round here now. Um, In your time with the Warriors, the teammate most likely to reach for the check was? Me. (laughs) (laughs) And the player least likely to reach for the check? Eric Dampier. (laughs) He's not paying for anything. (laughs) What is something only people from Saginaw know about Saginaw? Some people from Saginaw only know about. Oh my goodness! Uh, 
The Hill versus High Games High School Basketball. What is that? It's Arthur Hill versus Saginaw High. It's Crosstown Rivals. Everybody and everybody in Saginaw that is like the biggest event that goes on every year. And it's Two a, games. <laughs> so it's a it's a big deal. People flock to these games. It, it's a big. People will go to the the mall and get new outfits for those games, those basketball. Games. Wow. Yeah, it's it's that serious. <laughs> wow. Um, those are all my questions, Jason. I hope you're doing well during the uh, the coronavirus thing all here, and I hope all you're right, and your family are okay. Okay. All right. Thank you. You too. Thanks, man. Thank you. Remember to subscribe to new episodes of Locked on Warriors on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. If you're on iTunes, rate us, review us, say nice things about us. When we get done here, you can tell your smart device to play the most recent episode of other Locked on Podcasts, including Locked on Fantasy Basketball. Thanks for listening, and stay safe.